Holy Spirit, come now and enliven us. We have prayed, Lord, that you would stir up your mighty power and come among us. And Lord, we pray that for us as well, that you would stir us up this morning. Implant the living word of God in our hearts. Give me the preacher of your word, utterance and the ability to speak a prophetic word in this moment for your people, for your church, so that you would be glorified and the whole body of Christ would be edified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Well, today is the Sunday of the Annunciation in Advent. If you didn't pick up on that, I'm going to remind you of it. The Annunciation refers to the angel Gabriel announcing to, telling the Virgin Mary that she is going to give birth to the Son of God. So why is the last Sunday of Advent the Sunday of the Annunciation? Well, here's a news flash for you. Are you ready? You don't get to have Christmas without the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's why. You've got to have her in the story. We cannot enter into the joy of the Incarnation and simultaneously refuse to talk about Mary. If we ignore the blessed Theotokos, we necessarily attenuate and minimize the sweetness and the mystery of God becoming human. So the Incarnation, the act of God taking on human flesh in Jesus Christ, is exactly why we call the Blessed Virgin the, the Theotokos. I just used that word. Maybe it was new for some of you. But it's a word that has been used in the church for centuries to refer to Mary because that word means this. Listen, it means God-bearer or God-carrier, the God-bearer. It refers to Mary carrying the true and only God in her virgin womb. And that's exactly the meaning of this icon right here that stands behind this pulpit and that you see every Sunday. It is a depiction, this icon is a depiction of the fulfillment of what we heard read from the prophet Isaiah this morning. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And as a matter of fact, that, sign, that image or that word, the Theotokos of the sign, or that word, this will be a sign to you. This, is, this pattern of icon is always referred to as the Theotokos of the sign. Now, I know that many of us, many Protestants, especially those of us who are from the Reformed and Evangelical traditions, don't like to focus on Mary because we associate that, uh, we associate honoring the Blessed Virgin Mary and her unique role in salvation history with certain errors in the Roman Catholic Church. And we don't, we don't want to be sliding into no Catholicism here. That'd be really bad. I mean, we're right on the verge every Sunday. Look at us. We're holding on to Protestantism with our bare fingernails. No, we're firmly planted in the Protestant tradition. But friends, let me tell you, you are missing out on, on the joy and the depth and sweetness. Yes, there's that word again. If you, of this season, you're missing out of the joy and the depth and the sweetness of this season if you ignore Mary. And for us, because we are Bible Christians, we just don't get that option in the first place. She is all over the Gospels. And even in the book of Acts, 
The traditional consensus of the church is that she is referred to typologically in uh, Revelation chapter 11 and chapter 12. And she's prophesied about in the Old Testament as we heard this morning out of Isaiah chapter 7. And so today I want to make a series of biblical and theological points that I hope will help us embrace the centrality of Mary's ministry and role, her, her ministry and role in the story of salvation. And in my later years, I have spent more and more time considering the mother of our Lord in my devotional life. In fact, I maintain that if we take Mary seriously, then our joy and celebration at Christmas will increase and take on a more profound meaning. Now, the first thing I want us to understand here from Scripture is that the Blessed Virgin Mary is the prototype. She is the prototype of being a Christian disciple. In other words, she is, you know, the first, she's the, the first one to come off the assembly line, so to speak. She's the prototype of being a Christian disciple. How can I say that? Well, to begin with, just as with every follower of Jesus, Mary, listen, here it is, Mary opens her life to receive, to accept Christ. She opens her life, her heart, her whole body to receive Christ. We heard it this morning in Luke chapter 1, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Mary said, and here's her acceptance of Jesus, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary accepts and receives Jesus, as every Christian disciple must do. Likewise, Mary bears the reproach of receiving Christ. She bears the reproach of receiving Jesus. She lost, Mary lost her reputation in order to follow Jesus Christ and be obedient to God's word. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. This is the nativity or the annunciation account told from Joseph's point of view in Matthew's gospel. Ready? Now the birth of Jesus Christ, this is Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. What's, the, what's going on here? Well, Mary is bearing the reproach of being an unwed mother in first century Israel. And Joseph knows that for her to be identified as such would bring her to shame, and that's why he wants to put her away quietly. And then, of course, he has the dream telling him not to do that. So Mary accepts the shame, listen, as every Christian disciple must do, Mary accepts the shame and reproach of receiving and following Jesus. That's what disciples do. Hebrews chapter 13. I told you we're going to make some biblical points here. Hebrews 13, verses 12 and 13. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And then listen to what, what we read here. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Following Jesus means bearing the reproach he endured. If you follow Jesus today in North America, he is going to ruin your reputation. 
So professional people, doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, bankers, teachers, business people, listen up. It is no longer respectable to be identified as being a follower of Jesus as he is revealed in Scripture. Just this past week, I got called a lot of names because of my commitment to Jesus Christ and to follow his teaching and because of my Christian conscience. There was reproach involved in following Jesus. And that's the way it's been through most of human history. By the way, um, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm going to be the canon missioner for West, I am the canon missioner for West Virginia and for Appalachia, and that's going to be full-time beginning after the first of the year for me. And I'm, I've often wondered why God is stirring up uh, what looks like revival in West Virginia. What, what, of all the places in the world, why is God putting his hand on West Virginia and stirring people up to follow Jesus? Well, I think one of the reasons is he's gone to a place where people don't have a reputation to be ruined. West Virginians feel like they're the butt of every joke. And he is willing to be associated with their lowliness and humility. But it has been that way through most of, Christ, of history. The good news, though, if we, like Mary, are not ashamed of Jesus, we will inherit eternal life, and he will give us the, listen, the only accolade and honor that any of us could ever hope for. The only accolade and honor. Nothing else will matter in eternity than this accolade, than this honor. Matthew 25, 23, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That's the greatest thing that any of us can hear. And hearing that word extinguishes the sting of any reproach we've ever had to bear for Jesus Christ. And another way that, that Mary reflects the archetypal Christian disciple is that she commends obedience to Jesus. She commends obedience to Jesus. She is always pointing to the Lord Jesus. You remember in John chapter 2, verses 3, or in John chapter 2, uh, where there's the wedding feast in Cana, and what happens? Well, it, a, a horrible thing happened. They ran out of wine at the wedding feast. And so this is what happens. Um, just as John 2, verse 3, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And he, and he said, well, what do you want me to do about it? No, that's how I say that. And he said, Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And I love this. I love what she does here. Jesus said, it's not my time. It's not, the hour hasn't come yet. And she turns, his mother said to the servants, just do whatever he tells you to. I love that. She commends obedience. Do whatever he tells you. And he, she still commends that obedience to this day. That word isn't just for the servants in Cana of Galilee. It's for you and for me. Do whatever he commands you to do. Now, it's, it is significant that almost in almost all Christian traditional icon, traditional Christian iconography, Mary is always depicted, except for here, the, the Theotokos of the sign, she's always pointing to her son. So if you see those traditional uh, icons, it's like she's holding baby Jesus and she's doing this, like that, right? Like, or, or maybe more, like, <laughs> pointing to her son Jesus. In other words, don't look at me, look at him. And that's the commission Jesus gives all of his disciples in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, doing what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
Mary commends obedience to Jesus, and she always points to Jesus, and we should do as well as disciples. Another way that she is the archetype or prototype of Christian discipleship is that she is radically loyal to Jesus when almost all the other disciples have fled on the day of crucifixion. Mary is present at the foot of the cross, not just because she is his loving mother, but also because she is a disciple and she will not abandon her master. John 19, but standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother. And finally, Mary sometimes, like all of us as disciples, just doesn't understand Jesus. Uh, do you remember this story about when Jesus uh, stays behind, all the family has gone up to Jerusalem for Passover. They're all going back to, to uh, Nazareth where they, he, he was growing up. And so there's a big crowd of folks, and Mary and Joseph were just, you know, they weren't, Jesus is with the other kids is what they're thinking. Well, they, they, they camp out that first night or they look around, where's Jesus? Well, they go all the way back to Jerusalem, and they find him in the temple. Remember that? Speaking with the, with the scribes and the teachers of the law there in the temple. And this is Luke chapter 2, verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? They didn't understand Jesus. You know, there have been times in my life and perhaps in your life too where I have literally prayed out loud, Lord, what in the world do you think you're doing? What in the world do you think you're doing? Sometimes the way of the disciple is a way of not complete. We certainly can't fathom all of God's sovereign designs for us. And if all of this is true about Mary as an archetype for Christian discipleship, why don't we embrace Mary? Well, we've already mentioned that we fear being infected by the errors of the Roman church. But here's what I think. I think we don't just avoid Mary because we fear falling into popery, or potpourri for that matter. <laughs> Not just because we fear falling into Romish errors, but because our flesh, our sinful human nature, is offended by Mary. You see, Mary embodies a way of following Jesus that our flesh resists and hates. It's particularly interesting to me that Mary is conspicuous by her absence in the evangelical church's conversations about women in ministry. Why is that so? You know, over the years, I've tried to remedy that omission from this pulpit. But the bottom line is that the Theotokos seems to be the self-evident model for, men, for women in gospel ministry. It's almost a tautology. In other words, if it wasn't for the ministry of Mary, you wouldn't have a gospel ministry to begin with. So why don't we extol and honor Mary? Well, here's the reality. The very thing that makes Mary attractive, please listen. The very thing that makes Mary attractive to God is exactly what makes her so unattractive to our flesh, to our fallenness. You see, my flesh doesn't want the things that Mary demonstrates. Her obedient submission, her humility, her abject faith, trust in the God of Israel. No, my flesh wants its own way, not submission and obedience to God. My flesh wants to exalt itself. Look at me, look at me. Not humble itself. My, my flesh trusts itself and not God. But Mary demonstrates the opposite of all those characteristics. 
And as a matter of fact, she embodies the reality that all Christians are to reflect the life of Christ. God's purpose, as you remember reading, is to conform us to the image of his son. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be what? To go to heaven? No, that's not what it says. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, here's the point. This is, this is a little bit of, of a path to get to this point, but here's the point. Mary is conformed to the image of her son in that she prefigures the self-emptying love of her son. The word to, to empty oneself, there's a word we talk about when we refer to Jesus and his self-emptying in order to take on human flesh and to be obedient, obedient as God's servant, his Messiah on earth, as he takes on that human flesh. That word is kenosis. Kenosis, it, means to, it refers to emptying yourself. So Mary is conformed to the image of her son in that she prefigures the kenosis of her son. She models Jesus' self-emptying obedience to God. She empties herself, listen, of her plans, her ambitions, her dignity, her dreams for herself and her future in order to completely surrender to God. And where do we hear that type of self-emptying? Where do we hear about that again in the New Testament? Well, it's in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, emptied himself, kenosis, taking on the form of a servant. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. My flesh doesn't even want to think about that, let alone do that. But here is the good news. Please listen, and we see it in Mary as well. God responds to that self-emptying by doing what? By exalting her. This is God's pattern throughout Scripture, and if we will let him do it in our lives by grace, it'll be the pattern we experience as well. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 48, what is Mary seeing? We, we said it this morning, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate. He's looked on the humbleness the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on, what's going to happen? All generations will call me blessed. God exalts the humble. That's the whole song. That's Mary's song. He's lifting up the lowly. He's casting down the mighty from their thrones. And that's exactly as the same as in the Christ hymn in Philippians chapter 2. This is what it reads there, Philippians 2.9. Therefore, God, after Jesus empties himself, taking on a for, the form of a servant, being obedient even unto the point of death on a cross, what does God do? Philippians 2.9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Our self-emptying results in God's exalting and blessing us. But so many times I think we turn away from Mary's example because our flesh doesn't want to do it that way. But the main reason we focus on Mary on the Sunday of the Annunciation and Advent is that it lifts up, this, this, this theme of the Annunciation lifts up the mystery 
of the incarnation. The word incarnation, again, means God putting on human flesh, God becoming a human being in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the mystery. Oh, it's, this is deep. Mary receives the deity into her humanity so that the deity may take on our humanity and become God with us, Emmanuel. Let me say that again. Mary receives the deity into her humanity so that the deity may take on our humanity and be Emmanuel, God with us. Now listen. And in turn, the deity takes on, this is the mystery, the deity takes on our humanity so that we can participate in his divinity. I want to say that again. The deity takes on our humanity so that we can participate in his divinity. That's 2 Peter 1.4. He has granted us his very precious and very great promises so that through them, here it is, you, you, me, may become what? Partakers of eternal life? No. The divine nature. The deity takes on our humanity so that we can participate in his divinity so that you may become partakers of, divine, of the divine nature. And so St. Athanasius writes in his work on the Incarnation, he says this, it's, one of the, it's still one of the most startling things ever said by a teacher of the church, God became man so that humans might become God. If that doesn't make your head kind of want to go, I don't know what will. And every time I say that, it's almost like, man, that almost sounds like heresy. No, he wants us to take upon ourselves by grace that which he is by nature so that his divine nature may be experienced in us. The deity takes on our humanity so that we can participate in his divinity. So do you know what all this means? If Mary does this, that mystery that I just referred to, in a very real sense, and this again, this relates to our, our life as disciples, Mary in a very real sense, becomes, listen, a means of grace, a sacrament. Christian, God's purpose in your life is to make you a means of grace so that your life would be sacramental, so that people would encounter the real presence of God through us, through us in this room. That's God's purpose. Here's what I mean. Listen. And again, these are, um, when I say things like this, it's kind of like, yeah, that sounds like some old dead Christian guy stuff. Uh, and it kind of is, but I want you to listen, folks. Because of God's faithfulness to Mary, because of God's faithfulness and Mary's faith, God's faithfulness and Mary's faith, God comes to us through a humble virgin. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He clothes himself in humility with human flesh. This is a very important point. Because of God's faithfulness to his word, all of his promises, and because of Mary's faithful response, her faith, God comes to us through a humble virgin. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He clothes himself in humility with human flesh. Now here's, listen to this. Because of God's faithfulness and our faith, God comes to us through bread and wine. Once again, in great humility, he is present to us as Emmanuel, God with us in this meal. And make no mistake about it, his presence here in this meal is more real than yours or mine is. 
and in receiving him through this sacrament of Holy Communion, we are filled with his life, and like Mary, by grace, we become God-bearers. That's pretty deep stuff, but it's beautiful stuff. And like I said, if we will, just, if we will, if we will allow ourselves to ponder and reflect upon God's involving of this young Jewish woman in the critical point of salvation history, we will find that this season takes on a greater depth and greater sweetness as we ponder these things in our heart. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.